The Truth News Network. A sitting president blames the unvaccinated for the outbreak of a virus, but the outbreak is among the vaccinated. A vaccine maker announces their 98% effective vaccine is nowhere near as effective as they claimed, and now booster shots for life. How does this happen? It happens in the absence of truth. TNN, the Truth News Network, brings it to clarity with Dan Newman. Yes, sirree. It happens in the absence of truth. That's what we're into here, folks, at Truth News Network. And for those of you that are regulars, you know that already. That's the way we roll here. I hate that saying. That's the way I roll. But it makes sense in this particular case. Um, We're on a quest to find facts. I don't know anything else to say other than we're fact finders. And we're doing that together with you. Well, how are you doing today? Thank goodness. It's TGIF. It's Friday. Got a weekend ahead. Are you caught up in all of this nasty weather that has kind of swept across the uh, the Gulf South and it's headed to the southeast? Had another tornado in Alabama overnight as this big egregious front moved through Texas and Louisiana and Mississippi and Alabama. Remember, I live in Louisiana. Guess what it's doing right now, which we never see happen here. It's snowing. (laughs) It snowed off and on all night, and it's a really pretty, you know, the fluffy snowflakes. I just went outside and took a look outside the studio, and it's snowing. It's that time of year, but we seldom get snow. When we get cold weather in Louisiana, basically here's how it happens. It rains, it rains, it rains, and then all of a sudden the front comes through and it gets icy cold, and the streets all get iced up, and you can't drive, or it's like a skating rink when you get out on the highways. People make fun of Louisiana drivers because we don't know how to drive in the cold weather. Come down here, folks. Our cold weather is way different from yours. Up north, I've lived in, I guess as far north as I've lived is Indianapolis. Um, And the way it works there, it's cold. It's cold. And then it snows. And so it's not a sheet of ice underneath the snow like we get down here. We're not stupid, folks. Just because we're from the South, we're not stupid. Well, I want to say right now a very special happy birthday to my spouse, Marianne. I won't tell you how old she is, but I will tell you she's older than I am. And it really gets accentuated February 4th every year. We've been married 46 years. That's a long time to do anything, wouldn't you say? And she just keeps on having these birthdays. Go figure. Well, she's been an amazing person to share my life with. And we've been through the bumps. We've been through the bruises. We've had health issues. We've had family issues. Pretty much, you know, just living American life. And here we are. We're still kicking. And she's still kicking and celebrating another year of kicking today. Now, let me, let me just give you a clue about how special our lives are and how blessed we are. We have three children. We have six grandchildren. All six grandchildren and all but one of our kids lives right here within five miles of us. So we have these grandbabies and we do stuff with them all the time. And they're in high school. We have a couple of that have graduated and gone on to college 
but we have twin granddaughters that are in the, um, they're sophomores. We have one grandson that's a sophomore. That's kind of cool. You have cousins that are all the same age, right? And then the baby of the family is in the seventh grade. And so they're at that fun age where they're involved in everything, athletics, sports, all kinds of stuff. And so Nani and Poppy, we're just having the best time of our lives chasing these grandkids around. And they're all right here in the same town we live in. So I think you'll agree we're blessed. We feel blessed. And I'm positive that we are blessed. Not everybody can say that. So let me just tell you something you've probably already noticed. We have been contemplating for, I guess, a year now to update and make our website a little bit easier to read stories that are posted there. And we have a, a good friend that works on our IT stuff for us from California. And uh, we made some changes overnight. If you haven't looked at it yet, go take a gander, truthnewsnet.org, and see what you think about it. should be easier for everybody to see and use and be able to access stories in a much quicker fashion. Still looks basically the same. My big mug, that caricature of me, is up at the top. And uh, that's going to stay there because that's, that's basically a trademark. To be honest with you folks, I don't care what they do. They can't make me any prettier. <laughs> that's not going to happen. So why don't we get right down to business? Because we got some business that we need to take care of. But I want to start right here. I want to start about where Joe Biden is leading the nation as president. Now he's been through his first year. Some politicians would rather reign in hell than serve in heaven. Have you ever heard that saying? Remember back when Joe Biden was vice president? Then Defense Secretary Robert Gates, who'd been around D.C. forever, he'd been head of the CIA, Uh, he served in a lot of positions, he was Defense Secretary, Robert Gates said this about Joe Biden, because Gates had been around Washington, D.C. for a lot of years, as had Joe. Gates said that he had been remarkably consistently wrong, and he's talking about Joe Biden, about everything for going on 40 years. During that same time frame, Joe Biden's boss, of course, was President Obama, noted that he possesses an extraordinary ability to mess things up. Obama talking about Joe. His description of Biden's bizarre superpower was even more colorful than that. In fact, he called it, Obama did, bizarro. So keeping those two observations in mind, the one from Barack Obama and the other from former Secretary of Defense Bob Gates, Take a look at where Biden has led America and the world in the very brief time of his presidency. Let's just kind of skim the landscape. Russian President Vladimir Putin is about to invade Ukraine. The nuclear-armed, KGB-trained mafia boss, Vlad, keeps blaming the unrest on his neighbor, but his ambition to rebuild the lost Soviet empire is crystal clear. Now, Biden could have shown some savvy and strength and kept Putin at bay as his predecessor did for four years. But what did Biden do? Well, first, he gave up Afghanistan to terrorists. Getting Americans killed and leaving 9,000 of them stranded 
just because he abandoned the only viable base of operations near Kabul. Then he decided not to fire anybody who had a hand in the debacle. Yesterday, they finally admitted, they said yesterday morning, there were 6,000 Americans still stranded in Afghanistan. When they'd been telling us from the very beginning, it was just a handful. But then they even updated that number late yesterday. It's 9,000 Americans are hiding for their lives in Afghanistan to this day. That's October, November, December, January, going on five months. But he wasn't through yet. In one of his very few news conferences, he more or less greenlit Putin to invade Ukraine with his minor incursion remark. Now, the president saying that is causing major problems in a much, much more nervous Europe from the Balkans to Britain is wondering if Putin's going to invade Ukraine. But if he does, will he stop there? Spoiler. He's sitting across the table from Joe Biden. Putin's looking at what's going on over here. He must surely like his odds of doing pretty much whatever he wants to. In ordinary times, the prospect of military action can unite and galvanize us. But most Americans now believe we have little interest in who owns what in Eastern Europe. We have much more pressing concerns closer to home. Thanks to Biden's irresponsible spending sprees and the trillions more he keeps threatening to spend, the dollars we work so hard for are losing their value, inflation, and they're losing fast. Joe compounded that problem. How? By kicking American energy producers in the teeth, increasing dependence on foreign oil, and in doing that, of all things, we hadn't bought an ounce of oil from Russia in years. Joe Biden's first month in the White House, we bought 6 million barrels. The next month, 7 million. The next month, 8 million. We're putting money in Putin's pockets when foreign leaders and countries were paying us for our excess oil that we were sending to them under Donald Trump. We had more than we needed. That's the first time in 30 years that had happened. Yeah, this would be the same Putin who is waving guns at his NATO and non-NATO neighbors. Joe Biden's decisions are making Putin even more of a threat to our partners. And Biden shows no sign he's aware or even cares if he does aware. Something else Biden doesn't seem to care about is military readiness and capability. His big idea when he swept into the White House was to make the military woke which, doesn't surprise me, and I'm sure it didn't you, has divided and eroded Americans' trust in the one institution most of us had faith in just over a year ago, our military. Neither does Biden seem to care about his erasure of the U.S.-Mexico border. It's like he literally erased the border. He doesn't give a rip about it. And he keeps getting caught shipping illegal immigrants all over the country having tested none of them, not a one for COVID-19. 
despite his lawless government's efforts to hide the scheme from all of us. They lie about it. They give us all kind of manufactured stories. They think we're too stupid to see through. Either that or they don't care. He doesn't care about the human trafficking he's enabling or the toxic fentanyl flooding across the border. He also doesn't care that his actions are destroying morale in the Border Patrol. Joe Biden claims to care about our economy, and he keeps touting all the jobs created, which they're not created, and that's a lie. We've called it out. Many others have called it out. Those people, those jobs reports, and we got a really good one this morning. Nobody expected it. 467,000 new jobs. Well, again, they're not new jobs. All these jobs, you know, Biden, he touts whenever he talks about employment and look what I've done. No other president has created more new jobs in their first year in office than I have. They weren't new jobs. They were people coming out of the pandemic lockdowns going back to work. That's all it was. Biden doesn't care about human trafficking, fentanyl. He doesn't care that his actions are destroying morale. He claims to care about our economy, but to date his policies haven't created a single, not one, new job. But they're going to scream and holler all today and all weekend, 467,000 jobs, we new jobs we created last month. They didn't create one new job. Now those Democrats are reluctantly opening their states and cities back up. Some of those jobs have come back. That's not creating jobs, but he doesn't care. He also doesn't care about the war that criminals and criminal-loving Democrat district attorneys and mayors are waging across the country. If he truly cared, he would call out or even kick out radical DAs like George Gachon, in Los Angeles, Jose Garza in Austin, Texas, Alvin Bragg in Manhattan. Those people just keep installing revolving doors at their local jails, but he's even silent as the criminals these DAs free go out and rob, rape, and kill even more Americans. The man who has the famous American bully pulpit is easily bullied, it turns out. He got bullied into proclaiming that he would choose only a black woman for the next Supreme Court opening, which might have some credibility if he'd not voted against a second black man, Clarence Thomas. Joe was on, in fact, he was the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee where confirmations take place. He excoriated, then nominated Clarence Thomas, talked down to him in those hearings, Biden really doesn't care about diversity. He just cares about political expediency. Thanks to Biden and his woke handlers, Americans are divided on everything from what should be taught in our schools to the very definition of a citizen. We're divided on the economy. We're divided on vaccines, which remember, Biden was among the first to call into question for the sake of politics. And we're divided on everything else. Well, not everything. Most Americans, pretty much in unity, despise Joe Biden now. That's something. But when Putin 
and Chinese dictator Xi Jinping and likely Iran and North Korea all act in concert to sweep up their respective regions, Biden's going to hardly be in a position to rally America or the world. The legacy of division he's created will fracture free world further and further and further at the worst time imaginable. And there's one thing about this whole scenario that's a bit scary. I honestly think he doesn't know, he doesn't see, he doesn't understand the impact of these things that he's doing. Why? You and I both know he's not the one making those decisions. He's got a group of handlers. Maybe it's just one. Maybe it's three. Maybe it's a dozen. But he is a great puppet doing exactly what they tell him to do. And I know, based upon what he tells us, he thinks he's doing a good job. He's not, folks. He's not. Just one example. He went to um, New York City yesterday and he made a, I started to say he made an ass out of himself, but I'm not going to say that. He made himself look bad. He's up there doing the one thing that he does and he thinks everybody falls in line and just praises him for doing it. He says the crime problem in New York City and other cities around the nation, it's not about criminals. It's not even about crime. Defunding the police, that roar that went out incessantly by millions of people across the nation in the wake of George Floyd's murder, that's tearing our nation apart. The rule of law is getting ripped apart. That's not the criminals doing that, folks. It's people like Joe Biden and these far leftists that are in power more and more getting elected. And finally, Americans are realizing when you put people in the place to make decisions about prosecuting and holding criminals liable and responsible for their criminality, that kind of stuff is going to stop. But when the guy in the White House says, ah, the answer to our criminal problem is not to defund the police. Whoever started that didn't know what they're talking about. But I know what the fix is, and we're going to do it, right here in New York even. What is it? Throw money at it. Money. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Joe Biden and his leftist buddies, they say, Money's what you throw at Americans, institutions, and everybody, every place. You give them more money, they're going to love you. That's politics, folks. That's not life. So he just messed up a bunch yesterday when he went to New York and met with the new mayor, and they talked about it. This was, you know, we, we had watched, they just buried a couple of cops that had been shot on the streets. Biden didn't send a message to those widows, the children of those slain officers. He didn't mention them in his speech. He didn't send an emissary to the funerals, let alone go to one or both of them himself. Never brought it up. Yet yesterday he said the answer is not to defund the police, which it's not, but instead provide the tools and funding for law enforcement officials to be partners and protectors 
in the community. Biden and Attorney General Merrick Garland met with the new mayor of New York, Eric Adams, and also New York Governor Kathy Hochul. They met at the NYPD headquarters yesterday to talk about and come up with ways that federal, state, and local law enforcement officials can work together to quickly take shooters off the streets and combat the gun violence. Here's a quote. Every time you pin that shield on, walk out the door, you're worried about getting a phone call. Too many have gotten the phone call lately, Biden said. Every day in this country, 316 people are shot, 106 killed. There have been six NYPD victims of gun violence so far just this year. I have no idea if his numbers are accurate. If I was a betting man, I'd say it's probably it's probably probable <laughs> that he's way off on the numbers. Somebody gave them to him. His trip to the Big Apple yesterday, after thousands of uniformed police officers from across the nation traveled to Manhattan to pay their respects to the fallen NYPD detectives Jason Rivera and Wilbert Mora, both shot and killed while responding to a domestic violence call last month. Enough is enough because we know we can do things about this, Biden said. You know, Mayor Adams, you and I agree. The answer is not to abandon our streets. That's not the answer. The answer is to come together, police and communities building trust and making us all safer. Folks, all it was was one lie, one gross misrepresentation, one pie in the sky answer for crime from this guy who doesn't care a bit about any of this, unless, of course, it impacts somebody close to him directly, and then it will be different. It's easy for somebody that lives a life 24-7 with tens of millions of dollars of security surrounding them all the time, travels on a $500 million jet with a cadre of security people that are with him, the dadgum limo that he drives in, nothing, no bullet, no tank shell, nothing is going to penetrate that. It's easy for him to talk about, we got to get out and mobilize. And, you know, of course, the big fix for all of this, I mean, he said it for years. We got to get rid of guns. We got to get rid of guns. We're about funding and providing the additional services you need beyond someone with a gun strapped to their shoulder, Biden said. We need more social workers, mental health workers. We need more people who, when you're called on these scenes and someone is about to jump off a roof, it's not just someone standing with a weapon. It's someone who also knows how to talk to people, talk them down. I would be willing to bet you that it's 100 to 1. Criminals that are shooting and killing people to somebody jumping off a roof in New York City. But it sounded like he cares. He said that government officials can't expect police officers to do every single solitary thing. Novel idea, Mr. President. Why don't we let them do the one thing that they trained for, that they went to the job for? What is that? Find the criminals and hold them responsible. Make them pay the crime for the crime they commit according to the law's that the lawmakers in Manhattan and New York State, and oh, by the way, you, when you were in Congress, the criminal laws that you guys put together, that are laws, 
You know those things we're supposed to abide by and we can't break? Why don't we begin, instead of adding a bunch of fluff and throwing a bunch of more money after something with the same restrictions still in place that prevent those lawmakers from doing their jobs, not just in Manhattan, what about across the state of New York and Pennsylvania and Texas and the southern border? Why don't you just promote them doing their jobs? Give them the, the feeling, the sense that you're behind them and you want the laws abided by and will accept nothing less. Unless and until you do that, Mr. President, this nation and its lawless streak that we're on across every sector of our nation, every state, every borough, every town and city is going to continue to go down the sliding hill that your actions have put us on. And none of your punitive little suggestions and thoughts mean anything to anybody. How do you expect a social worker to stop a domestic shooting. Both of these detectives were shot and died going to a domestic violence call. I bet he doesn't even understand how often that happens, domestic violence calls in big cities, especially across the nation. Every one of them is subject to it at a moment, without any notice, turn into a violent confrontation. We used to take care of the violent confrontations. That was job one. And then we would get involved with all the social fluff after the fact, the mental problems, the emotional problems, those kind of things. But when somebody is planning to kill somebody and somebody calls 911, who do you, you think those people want to show up on the scene? A social worker? They want somebody who will stop what is about to happen, keep the violence from ramping up. I mean, that's life, folks. This other stuff, it's fluff compared to the reality of living 24-7 in a city with the problems that every one of us have and we deal with. The bureaucrats in D.C. in many cases don't even have a clue what we are dealing with. Yesterday, all it did for me, folks, was convince me that Joe Biden lives in la-la land. He doesn't live where we live. He doesn't face the same things that we face. He's got a lot of history that proved that very exact thing. We're going to get into some of it. You're going to hear him do some today speaking from yesterday and then we're going to turn the calendar back and let you hear what he said about this very same things 25 years ago and see if you think it's the same guy or if somebody put on a Joe Biden costume and is talking about stuff that we never heard from a Joe Biden. That's all just ahead. We haven't talked about the likely Supreme Court justices the ones that Joe Biden committed that he was going to consider, the only people 
he was going to consider to replace Justice Breyer, who's retired. There's so many other things that we have on the docket for you today. I want to start right here with this one thing. Do we need to take a break? Let's do this one thing, and then we'll take our first break. You remember we here a couple of days ago, we were very excited to bring the information to you that Johns Hopkins, I guess the most critical, uh, credible medical institution in the U.S., one that's quoted all the time, they did an exhaustive study. We brought you the findings. We wrote about it, wrote a story about it. We brought it to you here at TNN Live. That study happened to find out that the COVID lockdowns that we all struggled to live through last year were ineffective. We gave you the numbers. We're not going to go back through that, but it wasn't even close, folks. We let you listen to Dr. Fauci, what he said back a year and a half ago, where he said the lockdowns, they saved millions of lives because we locked down and people weren't getting infected or infecting other people. And we may have to lock down again, but if we do, it will save millions of lives. Johns Hopkins, they found out it didn't. In fact, it may have caused more problems than solve problems, those lockdown policies. But here's what's interesting today. I'm not going to go back into it. You would think that all the networks, all the big newspapers would pick up on it and write stories about it. I mean, finally, some good news for the American people that have been struggling, living through a pandemic. We get told stuff every day that we only find out two days, three days, two months later wasn't truthful. And we changed our lives based upon what they told us, those experts, including Joe Biden, what to do and what not to do. CNN, MSNBC, The New York Times, The Washington Post, all of them didn't say a word about it in any of their newscasts or any of their stories. It wasn't just the networks avoiding the study. The New York Times, the Washington Post, the Associated Press, Reuters, USA Today, Axios, Politico, among other outlets, they all turned a blind eye to the findings. Those researchers at Johns Hopkins University or economics professor Steve Hankey, Lund University economics professor Lars Junnen, and special advisor at Copenhagen Center for Political Studies, Jonas Herbie. They analyzed, they analyzed, you know, one of those real scientific processes. They analyzed the effects of lockdown measures like school shutdowns, business closures, mask mandates, the measures of those things regarding COVID-19 deaths. This is a quote. We find little to no evidence that mandated lockdowns in Europe and the United States had even a noticeable effect on COVID-19 mortality rates. They also examined shelter-in-place orders and found they reduced COVID-19 mortality by just 2%. Studies that looked at only shelter-in-place orders found they reduced COVID mortality by 5.1%, but studies that looked at shelter-in-place orders along with other lockdown measures found that shelter-in-place orders actually increased COVID mortality by 2%. Researchers concluded the limiting gatherings may have actually increased 
COVID-19 mortality. What's the skinny about all this? What's the summary of it? It's real simple, folks. We didn't have any preparation to deal with COVID-19, with that pandemic. The experts that were paraded out in front of us every day, people like Anthony Fauci, Dr. Deborah Burks, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, the head of the CDC and others, they didn't have a clue either. And all the science that Fauci demanded that we accepted just because he said this, and this is a quote, I am science. All of those things we were told, tens of thousands of people in the United States, many, many more times that around the world who look to us for leadership and guidance, especially in healthcare events, followed the instructions of Mr. Science and others of his ilk, and they died. They died because of what they were told. They died because of what treatments they were receiving and treatments that they were denied by healthcare professionals. I want you to listen to a nurse, happens to be from Louisiana, from my state. She sought out Project Veritox, Veritas just several days ago to talk to them about what she saw firsthand in hospitals where she worked here in Louisiana regarding their treatment and the whys for the treatments, the things and the processes that were happening in these hospitals she'd never seen in her career before. Listen closely to her talking to Project Veritas. Like he would have never known he had COVID if he hadn't gotten gunshot wounds. Tell us your name, your title, where you work. My name is Jean Stagg. I am a nurse with, or was a nurse with United Healthcare, uh, Community and State Plan of Louisiana. Why come to Project Veritas? Well, I've been seeing some uh, cases come over that um, were coded as COVID-19 that I felt should not have been coded as COVID-19. So that may be, um, you know, some higher numbers as well. They did test positive for COVID, but they went in for other reasons, but they are still being counted in our numbers. Yeah, thank you so much, John. That was great. When did you first notice this trend? I would say it's around um, June or July. I started seeing some cases which should not have been COVID, in my opinion. I've had a couple where it was like scheduled vaginal deliveries or... um, car wrecks. That wasn't their reason for going to the hospital. The only way they're going to show up on my census is if COVID is their primary diagnosis. I don't want to say it's fraud and abuse, but I mean, should I be reporting stuff like that or just letting it go? We are finding, you know, people as we work them up were COVID positive and they had no inclination to even know mm-hmm. they might be positive. That's never my number one code in that situation. And I thought that they got reimbursed at Medicare rate instead of Medicaid rate. They do. I mean, Medicare rate would be significantly higher than Medicaid rate. Yes. Yeah. This is actually a health plan advisory. They have amended it multiple times. And this is basically telling them that all utilization management for all medical hospitalizations, including but not limited to initial service, 
authorizations and concurrent reviews must be suspended. Now, this is not specific to COVID-19. This is every single hospital admission. We're not allowed to do medical necessity review. So it gives the hospitals free reign to admit anything they want, code it however they want, keep the patients in the hospital as long as they want, and we're not going to deny anything. You know what this is, folks. This is an unfettered path toward unlimited federal dollars to institutions, medical institutions around the nation. All you have to do, there's a priority thing, a protocol thing that CMS put out to every hospital in America. And they didn't tell you, they didn't say, you've got to do this. This is what you've got to do. If this patient shows this, then here's how you treat them. No, 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 no. They went to the end of the line and they worked backwards. They said, if you treat a patient that comes to the hospital and if they even look like they might have COVID-19 and if you document, document that they are there being treated for COVID-19, we'll pay you more. And if you give them this medication, Remdesivir is the number one. And if you give them this medical treatment, put them on a ventilator, we're going to pay you this much. Now think about that. Put it in context. This is not, this is not a conspiracy. We've proven it over and over and over again. And more and more hospitals are being driven directly from the administrations all the way down to orderlies. To maintenance people, the dollar is driving the pandemic, and it drove the lockdowns, and of course it's driving medications. Who are the people that have made a lot of money during COVID-19 world that we live in? Healthcare institutions, pharmacy companies have been making billions of dollars because the medications that they create for COVID-19, they're selling every one of them. You're not paying for them. Well, indirectly, we all are. Joe Biden's written the check for all of them. Free, free, free. Everything's free. Get your COVID shot. Get your boosters. Do you think there may be a remote possibility that all of this booster talk that we've heard, not from the beginning, because we were told by Dr. Fauci, you get a vaccination, you're good to go. Hey, 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 you've beat it. It's going to never come back and mess with you again. Weeks into getting the initial shots, he began to float it out there that, well, we may need to, you know, six to eight weeks afterwards, we may need to have a booster just to be sure. And then when we got the first strain, the variant, Delta, oh my gosh, the vaccines. You know, look what happened with the flu. We put out a flu vaccine and it figures out a way to morph the virus into something else. So we got to get a flu shot every year. And even then we're not going to be sure it'll work. They used the same talking points Dr. Fauci did for COVID-19 vaccines. And now we're up to three boosters and we have this Omicron variant. And then just a couple of days ago, 
it began to be whispered, there's another variant out there after Omicron that is far worse and none of the vaccines impacted. Haven't gotten any details, which is interesting in itself. You know, science, medical science especially, they don't come out and talk to us until they have factual information to give to us We've done this laboratory research. We've done human trials. We have thousands of people. We've been working on this for months and months and even years. And here are the facts. They've not done that one single time during COVID world. They come out and they give us one thing, one common thread goes through all of this. Every time they get before a camera, interview, Microphone, it doesn't matter. If they get a public forum, this is what they tell us all. You need to be scared to death. Because if you don't do this, you're going to die. And you know what the big tragedy about all this is? If we ever get the chutzpah as a nation, as a nation of people, citizens, If we ever get the fortitude to step up and say, enough's enough, stop this, stop this, stop this, I'm fearful that we've let it go so far and get so far into the tank. When we do that, they'll just look at us and laugh. They're certainly not fearful of the American people. How do I know that? Just look around you. Look at what they've made us do. Look at the freedoms and liberties that we've given up in the name of medicine that was actually we gave up because we're scared to death. They've used fear to change not just the face of the United States, but the face of the world. And they like it. They like the power that they have stolen from the people. Here's the latest traffic report. Looks like miles of trouble-free driving with Napa Auto Parts. Your local Napa Auto Parts dealer in Modesto has a full line of quality parts for your car or truck. Napa Auto Parts keeps America running and Modesto Auto and Truck is ready to keep your vehicle running in tip-top shape for years to come. So if you think your car or truck needs help under the hood, think of Napa Auto Parts at Modesto Auto and Truck Parts, 924 G Street in downtown Modesto. 529-8342. 529-8342. 529-8342. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive? Yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an Infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your Infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. You get a whole lot of something with Farmer's Policy Perks. So much, I'm going to have to speed things up. <gasps> 
You can get the claim-free discount, which gives you money off your homeowner's policy if you've been claim-free for three consecutive years. Also applies for three successive years, three years straight, and what's known to insurance fans as the claim-free three-peat. Get a whole lot of something with Farmers Policy Perks. Start with a quote by calling 1-800-FARMERS. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Now for the legal something. Not available in every state. Only available with select farmers branded policy subject to terms and conditions underwritten by Farmers Truck or Fire Insurance Exchanges or affiliate. There's only one Dan Newman. Anymore. Well, that just wouldn't be fair. So let's get into Joe Biden's stuff. I mean, let's hear from Joe Biden. He, um, every time he gets up on his horse and wants to talk about racial issues, almost, I don't think it's almost, I think every time he does that, he digs himself a hole that if you look at facts and look at his past and just go back and do a little research and you don't have to go back very far or dig very deep to find out the stuff he's talking about and saying today, it ain't what he's lived during his life. And I think you know exactly what I'm talking about. He spoke at the National Prayer Breakfast Thursday morning, and he recalled when he saw black children on a bus in Delaware when he was a child. And of course, he gets colorful when he tells these stories. Here he is. Quote, I got out of the car, and I said, Mom, why are all those kids it was then called colored. Why are all those colored kids in that bus? Because in Scranton, there wasn't any. There were very few blacks at the time. Mom said, they're not allowed to go to schools with us here in Delaware. And Milton wasn't what you might call the epicenter of desegregation. Milton is a town in Delaware where he lived. Joe's famously on the record of supporting the idea of segregating children by race and opposed public busing to integrate schools. From a 1975 interview, quote, I think the concept of busing, that we are going to integrate people so that they all have the same access and they learn to grow up with one another and all the rest, is a rejection of the whole movement of black pride is a rejection of the entire black awareness concept where black is beautiful, black culture should be studied, and the cultural awareness of the importance of their own identity. So during his uh, prayer breakfast speech Thursday, he also recalled working together with segregationists in the Democrat Party. We had a lot of flat-out old segregationists in our caucus, he said. Didn't agree with one another but they treated each other with respect. Even then, he expressed his desire to return to a time of unity in Congress. One of the things I pray for, and I mean it, is that we sort of get back to the place. It's so busy, I think things have changed so much, but that we get to really know each other, he said. It's hard to really dislike someone when you know what they're going through is the same thing that you're going through. So yesterday, he got on his horse in New York City telling about his passion of black children and their educations. I want you to listen to this. This was yesterday. And then we're going to do another look back on Joe right after this short little Joe Bidenism. 
I remember sitting on going to a little Catholic grade school in Claymont, Delaware, which was a steel town that was dying. And the bus would go, my mother would drive me to the school parking lot. It's called Holy Rosary School from a little, it's called Brookview Apartments. It used to be Section 8 housing later. And, uh, and I get out of the bus, I get out of the car, and that's where I-95 runs parallel to these days. And, uh, and I'd say, Mom, why are all those kids, it was then called colored, why are all those colored kids in that bus? Because in Scranton, there weren't any, there were very few blacks. So they're not allowed to go to school with us here in Delaware. So, uh, you know, uh, and Milton wasn't what you might call the epicenter of uh, desegregation. And so you've been through a lot, but you've done a lot as well. He sounded a lot better when, uh, <laughs> when, I, when I read his, uh, his quote. Notice the way he sounds. I mean, it's like he's lost his part of his vocal cords and he is raspy. And he's talking like this. Listen to him um, a few decades ago about the same subject. About that cadre of young people, tens of thousands of them, born out of wedlock, without parents, without supervision, without any structure, without any conscience developing, because they literally, I yield myself three more minutes, because they literally have not been socialized. They literally have not had an opportunity. We should focus on them now, not out of a liberal instinct for love, brother, and humanity, although I think that's a good instinct, but for simple, pragmatic reasons. If we don't, they will, or a portion of them will, become the predators 15 years from now. And Madam President, we have predators on our streets that society has, in fact, in part because of its neglect, created. Again, it does not mean because we created them that we somehow forgive them or do not take them out of society to protect my family and yours from them. They are beyond the pale, many of those people. Beyond the pale. And it's a sad commentary on society. We have no choice but to take them out of society. That's Joe Biden, folks, in the Senate. He said those things exactly opposite of what he's saying now. And you know what? He's never one time that I know of taken ownership, ever apologized, ever said he was wrong. In addition to that, we've played a soundbite here on TNN Live where he said, talking about integration, he didn't want those people being around in schools with his children. He did not want his children to go to school in the jungle. His words, folks. His words. Here's what I don't, I just cannot fathom. You don't have to even look hard. You don't even have to do a Google search to find 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 10, 20, 30, 40 incidences where Joe Biden, who he probably doesn't 
doesn't think about it now, but if he thought about it then, he would not do it because of Google. Everything he ever says, everything he ever did, same thing about me and you, everything we've ever done, it's in history. It's there. It can be found. Nothing can be hidden. It all comes back. He was nothing but a segregationist and a bigot. I mean, what you just heard, that last segment, I mean, how long was that? Let's see. It's a minute and 20 seconds long. If you did not hear, I want you to listen to this again. This is the current president of the United States talking about African-American people. Black, whatever you want to call them. He called them black. But he called them a lot worse. About that cadre of young people Tens of thousands of them, born out of wedlock, without parents, without supervision, without any structure, without any conscience developing, because they literally, I yield myself three more minutes, because they literally have not been socialized, they literally have not had an opportunity. We should focus on them now, not out of a liberal instinct for love, brother, and humanity, although I think that's a good instinct, but for simple pragmatic reasons. If we don't, they will, or a portion of them will, become the predators 15 years from now. He, he said that, and he was pointing out the fact. He wasn't pointing out to American children. He was pointing to black children, and young adults. They were going to become predators if we didn't keep them away, didn't get them out of this. Why? They don't have educations. They don't have families. They don't have anything good to give to us. And if we don't get rid of them, they're going to become predators. That's the president of the United States saying all that. And Madam President, we have predators on our streets that society has, in fact, in part because of its neglect, created. Again, it does not mean because we created them that we somehow forgive them or do not take them out of society to protect my family and yours from them. He, ta- he, he takes the responsibility. Society created them. But just because we created them, that doesn't mean we have to let them hang around. We've got to get rid of them. Because they're predators now. They are beyond the pale, many of those people. Beyond the pale. And it's a sad commentary on society. We have no choice but to take them out of society. No choice but to take them out of society. They're not worthy. They, we can't let them live among us. They are predators and there's no hope. Nothing can be done. We've just got to get rid of them. Oh, not of them. Of those people. Can you believe a single African-American person in the United States of America today would even consider voting for someone who has this riddling his political career again and again and again. He got up before a camera 
on a microphone every time he could. And he talked down to African-American people. He talked about them from a perspective of they're nothing but chattel property. They're not worthy of even living and breathing the same air as us. You just heard this president say those exact things. And in some cases, he didn't even put them in a context. He just came out and said, they're not worthy. We can't have those those people living among us because they're predators. No apologies, no accountability, no responsibility. We got to get rid of them. The President of the United States. Wow. I, it's hard for me to even leave that. I put it in the context of politics in the last couple of decades. Can you imagine if George W. Bush had ever said anything like that? God God forbid that Donald Trump would have ever said anything like that. Oh, and in the case of both of those presidents, George W. Bush, Bush 43, and Donald Trump, if either had said those kind of things, it would have been plastered on every billboard, every TV news station, front page headlines, New York Times, Washington Post, for years. It would have been there every day. We would be so sick from hearing about it, and we would think, oh my gosh, how could we ever put a guy like that in the presidency and let him move in and live at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue and be the president of the United States? Folks, they impeach Donald Trump because of their interpretation of the transcript of a telephone call. They call, to this day, they call him an authoritarian wannabe, a dictator wannabe, when the guy that's president today is a racist, has a life full of racism, a segregationist, and he rules this nation without Congress. He issues executive orders and makes phone calls to people like Alejandro Mayorkas, the Secretary of Homeland Security, I'm sorry, uh, Department of Homeland Security, and tells him to just quit prosecuting illegal immigration, those that commit it. Just open the gates, let them come on in. Oh, by the way, make sure they've got money in their pocket, that we give them transportation, we make sure they've got a place to live, and they know where to go to get their health care. And they're going to send their kids to elementary school, junior high school, and we're going to pay for all of that. He does that outside the law. Why? Because he's not abiding by the rule of law. He is not promising and then doing all the things that he promised to do to protect the Constitution, to protect the American people. And he's got an answer for everything. And it's real easy for him to answer all the problems because he has one answer for it all. It's a catch-all. Throw more money at it. That's going to fix it. Every time. All we got to do is put more money in it. Wow. Well, this Supreme Court thing, this opening, the retirement of Justice Stephen Breyer, it has opened up 
a horror box full of horror stories that we're in the middle of right now. And a lot of untruths are out there. I know that may surprise you, but there's some important things that you need to know. We're going to dig into that next. Aren't we having a good Friday? Real truth, real news, TNN, the Truth News Network. Computer, execute 12.4p operation. Optimizing algorithm. Running encryption packet alpha 990. Oh, I don't feel so good. What? What is it, computer? Is it hot in here? It feels hot in here? I feel a little clammy. I should lie down or something. A computer with a virus? Surprising. What's not surprising? How much you could save by switching to GEICO. Those oysters Rockefeller were a mistake. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of craftsmen. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks, just like when you were a kid. Remember their naturally sweet raisins? Yup, still delicious. And so are Sunmate's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and Sunmate's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sunmade snacks. Nowadays, it's more important than ever to know the value of a dollar, or three, or four, or five, or even six. New Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. Tasty breakfast combos that give you more bang for your bucks. Get a wake-up wrap with sausage and a medium-hot coffee for $3. A bagel with cream cheese spread and a medium-hot coffee for $4. A bacon, egg, and cheese croissant with a medium-hot coffee for $5. Or a power breakfast sandwich and, you guessed it, a medium-hot coffee for $6. Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusions apply. Limited time offer. Bubblegum music. Remember those days? Ah, love's gonna get you. <laughs> the, the song lyrics back then weren't necessarily that good, but they sure were easy to understand. That's a little different than we're dealing with right now. So we've got an opening on the United States Supreme Court. And of course, even though the court systems are supposed to be non-political, that's why all of those federal judges and the justices are nominated and confirmed instead of running for election to make sure that we don't get money involved in it. You know, money is, well, the love of money is the root of all evil. We don't want to mess that up. But I can tell you this, I've never seen anything so partisan as is any opening that comes up on the United States Supreme Court. In addition to that, any controversial issue that goes before the United States Supreme Court for them to make a constitutional interpretation of its validity or its illegality, lining it up against the Constitution, it's all political. Everything is political. So at the top of the heap here is the guy that runs the Senate, Chuck Schumer. So Chuck is the one that is lording over this process to choose who's going to be the replacement for Justice Breyer on the U.S. Supreme Court. And so 
he went to the pulpit yesterday in the Senate and he made some uh, interesting remarks. I guess the most interesting part of it was he said this, and I'm quoting Chuck Schumer. Until 1981, this powerful body, and he's referencing the Supreme Court, was all white men. That's not true. (laughs) Here's the guy that is the senior senator, the majority leader of the Senate. He's the one that runs all the sessions, makes all the rules. Until 1981, Supreme Court was all white men. False. He forgot about Justice Thurgood Marshall. Justice Marshall was a black man. And he got nominated and approved by the, by the Senate to serve beginning in 1967. And he stayed there for 24 years. I don't know where Chucky was, <laughs> but I remember Thurgood Marshall. Schumer took to the floor of the Senate to praise Joe Biden for committing an advance to nominate a black woman to fill the vacancy being created by the retirement of liberal Supreme Court Justice Steve Breyer. In Schumer's remarks, he referred to the fact that only two justices in the Supreme Court have been African-American. Of course, he's talking about Justice Clarence Thomas and presumably to Marshall as well. Yet he omitted Marshall later. Whoever wrote his speech messed up, in other words. 1981 was the year that Ronald Reagan nominated Justice Sandra Day O'Connor. She was the first woman to serve to the court. Marshall rose to national prominence for his prowess as a civil rights attorney. He successfully led the challenge to segregation in schools at the Supreme Court, as a matter of fact, in the Brown v. Board of Education case of way back in 1954. One of Justice Marshall's most famous and enduring quotes is this, History teaches that grave threats to liberty often come in times of urgency, when constitutional rights seem too extravagant to endure. And just so you know it, Chucky Boy, he attended both Harvard University and Harvard Law School before he began not his legal career, he never had one, before he began his political career. Life about college politics. And of course, we all know that it doesn't have to be true. <laughs> That's just one thing. So let me ask you a question. Did did Biden even have a desire or the cognitive ability on January 20th of last year to begin to prepare for the retirement of Supreme Court Justice Breyer? In other words, plan for it. What are you going to do if somebody retires from the Supreme Court. Both parts of that question are not only in question, but also in the minds of every one of us, everybody who gives a rip about the integrity and the ability of a replacement for Justice Breyer. Come to think of it, pretty much every decision and subsequent action by this president evidences his lack of ability to run the White House, let alone the United States of America. Yet what is probably the most important decision of his first term as POTUS is facing a really rough time. Why? Well, because when Biden, he was telling the nation he would for any opening that materialized on the court, 
he would not name a Republican or a conservative to replace Breyer. He went further. He went as far as to guarantee those who voted for him for president, if he got an opening, he would fill that seat with a black female. He obviously didn't think through what he was going to say before he said it, showed no real desire to go on a justice's hunt in order to find the best person qualified to serve in that role. By making it known, the president most certainly planned on doing what he did do, to be honest. I feel that in Joe's guarantee of a black woman on the court, he never gave any thought to any possible repercussions for saying it, yet alone doing it. And everything's gone downhill from there. Come to think of it, his fishing expedition to select the right black woman to fill the role has proven to be an utter failure. Every American who voted in the election seriously doubts the president's decision-making prowess of old. In fact, he simultaneously eliminated about three-quarters of voters who would probably have supported whoever he chooses to enter the confirmation process for that Justice Breyer seat. The scale of this Biden latest Biden fiasco is astounding. From the leaked process by which a new vacancy on the court was announced, in which Justice Breyer was denied even the chance to retire on his own terms, from that to the way in which a campaign promise Biden made to nominate a black woman to the court has transformed into a rigid and fixed quota. You know that quota thing about racism? We've got it now in finding a Supreme Court justice. Nothing's gone right for Biden or the Democrats when it comes to this vacancy on the court. To be sure, the Biden folks have not built a reputation for competence over the course of 12 months of being in power, nor has the Democrat Party fared much better when it comes to the politics of Supreme Court nominations in recent years. Remember this? How could we forget? The Garland, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett nominations all went badly for Democrats. And even the one rough patch the GOP ran into when it came to nominees, that of Harriet Myers in 06, probably ended as a net loss for Democrats. They politically embarrassed Bush 43, but humiliation was a daily occurrence for him by that point. And conservatives ended up with the lifetime appointment of Justice Samuel Alito. Therefore, there was no reason to think that the process of replacing Justice Breyer would be well-managed or be easy as the media assumed it was going to be, or for that matter, that the Biden administration would not do everything in its power to screw it up, and they did. But nobody could have imagined such a disaster as we're seeing. The only person associated with this process who looks in any way dignified is Justice Stephen Breyer. His concerns that his leaving would appear political if it took place under pressure has been borne out by exactly what's happened. He clearly wished to retire on his own terms. He wanted to set the public narrative before retiring from the stage and allowing a free-for-all to take over. A hint of uh, lying that he has so often does. He gave a speech Thursday. 
whose themes, while liberal, represented a version of liberalism far removed from the progressive worldview that now predominates among left-wing circles. Justice Breyer, Thursday, he talked of teaching his grandchildren the timeless words of the Gettysburg Address. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers created here a new country, a country that was dedicated to liberty and the proposition that all men are created equal. And then he invoked George Washington and Abraham Lincoln, the first now denounced by many progressives as a slaveholder, the latter a racist, George Washington and Abe Lincoln. Oh my gosh. It was a good look for Justice Breyer. It was also clear that nobody, especially nobody on the left, for whose causes Breyer did so much was even listening. For them, Breyer's retirement was a political event, nothing more. At best, his continued presence was an obstacle to getting another vote on the bench, reducing Breyer to nothing more than a placeholder until a younger, more liberal justice could take his place. And it's got to be a black woman. At worst, he was seen as a selfish old white man standing in the way of a black female who would function as the instrument and judicial arm of the progressive left. It's about politics. It's hard to think of anything less compatible with Breyer's version of liberalism than the spectacle of a Georgetown faculty member being forced to apologize in a desperate effort to keep his job after suggesting that excluding 95% of the population and the candidate pool just because of race and gender might be unfair or a poor way to select a nominee. But that's what happened, exactly that, to Ilya Shapiro after he tweeted saying that objectively best pick for Biden is Sri Shrinvasan, who is solid progressive and very smart. Shapiro went on to say that Shrinvasan even has identity politics benefit of being first Asian, Indian Asian, and American, but also doesn't fit into the last intersectionality hierarchy, so we'll get a lesser black woman. Thank heaven for small favors. That tweet was shared by 76% of Americans that tweet. It's hard for 76% of Americans to agree on anything, even that puppies are cute. Yet 76 believe that all candidates, regardless of background, should be considered to succeed Justice Breyer. But it ain't going to happen. Joe Biden, he's got his eyes out there. He made commitments. And you know, when he made those commitments, he got millions of campaign dollars for promising that he would put an African-American woman on the court. He shares much of the blame for all of this politicization. Having had almost two years to consider how to follow through on his promise without delegitimizing the serious process of selecting a Supreme Court nominee, Biden seems to have given little thought to who an actual person he would nominate. It was only thanks to Trump's extensive foresight and preparation that he was able to nominate and confirmed Amy Coney Barrett on such short notice two years ago. By contrast, Biden, despite having artificially restricted the candidate pool to just less than 10, appears not to have settled on a single candidate yet. Had he done so, 
He could have rushed the announcement, thereby presented the pick as so distinguished by her qualifications that there was no need for a search. He could have claimed that he always had in mind a particular individual. And because that individual just so happens to be black and female, he was able to fulfill his promise. But he missed that chance. Given where we are today in 2022, fights over COVID-induced school closings, having shifted the battle lines in American politics from race to class and education, a decision to fight on identity politics in its pre-COVID form was always likely to fail. America's not the same country it was in February 2020 when Biden made that promise. No better evidence exists than Donald Trump's success with non-white voters the following November, a failure to heed that lesson and recognize how the world changed, that's directly responsible for a bunch of Biden's problems, not just this one. The crudeness of all this is on display, both in promoting whatever Biden is doing with the process of selecting a Supreme Court nominee and insulting dissenters like Shapiro. That's all proof that even after Glenn Youngkin's victory in Virginia and Bill Backbetter's loss in the Senate, Today's Democrats, like the French Bourbons, have both learned nothing and forgotten nothing. Democrats would be wise to recall that the French Bourbons were brought back to power in 1815, not by their own efforts, by external political events. COVID did for Biden what the Duke of Wellington's armies did for Louis XVIII. Rather than understanding that they had not won but rather that opponents had been swept away, the Bourbons proceeded to behave as if they had a mandate of the people, only to find themselves chased out by another revolution a decade later. Democrats seem determined to repeat that experiment by ascribing their victory in 2020 not to COVID or to other external events, but rather to decisions and issues which in fact would have ensured their defeat again had it not been for external factors like Black Lives Matter, identity politics, vicious attacks on social dissenters in the name of cancel culture, Democrats are inviting their own downfall. Breyer saw this coming, folks. And so far, the process to replace him has vindicated all of his fears. He, as noted, was attacked for his concerns that his retirement would be seen as political and his fears about the dignity of the process. They don't care about that. The far left doesn't care about that. The only thing that matters is getting a political edge in every area. Breyer was always the most observant of the court's liberals. While Ruth Bader Ginsburg spoke to and for Blue America, Justice Breyer spoke to America at large on behalf of Blue America. Sadly, Breyer is one of the last liberals who understand the difference. And that's sad. So let me ask you this. Would you like to know who's on Joe's docket of African-American women that he's got to choose from? He doesn't really have to, but he backed himself into a corner when he promised that he would. Can you imagine what would happen if he gave us a nominee and it happened to be a woman but a white woman? Oh my gosh, they would t- 
tar and feather him and drive him out of town in the back of a pickup truck. And that's not how this process is supposed to be. It's supposed to be 180 degrees away from that. And I'm going to say this, and it, it, it may hack off some of, some of you, but it's truthful. Guess what he's doing? He's racially, he's racially naming the next justice to the Supreme Court, but he threw in a little extra. It has to be a female. He's using racism, supposedly, to eliminate racism. And he's using sexism to help. That's Uncle Joe. Welcome to Staples. Staples guy, my company has like seven different printers. How's your ink selection? Behold, Staples Wall of Ink. Just wow. A huge selection of ink and toner guaranteed in stock. Hello, awesome. If it's not, we take $10 off and ship it to you free. Pinch me. I said pinch. I heard you. New low prices on ink and toner and an in-stock guarantee. Staples, make more happen. The I'm crazy hungry, so she's got to be too. Slide through the Mickey D's drive-thru to get a Big Mac. Right after I order her quarter pounder with cheese, because I don't know everything, but I do know what my girl's feeling hangry meal. Get it at McDonald's when you buy one of your faves, like the Big Mac, quarter pounder with cheese, 10-piece chicken McNuggets, or filet of fish and get another for just a dollar. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Prices and participation may vary. Valid on item of equal or lesser value. So, Miss Harris, what makes you think you're a good fit with us here at Schmidt, Starks, and Sopransky? Oh, sir, there are so many reasons. I specialized in research and theoretical studies for several years at the Southampton Institute, mm-hmm. preceded by intensive graduate studies at Syracuse. <laughs> Certainly, my skills are well suited for a position here at Schmidt, Starks, and Sopransky. Oh, thanks. A job interview and a root canal on the same day. Want to get away? Get the heck out of there with Southwest Airlines. Fly coast to coast for $99 or less by November 3rd. It was nice meeting you, sir. Yes, we'll get back to you soon. Soon. Southwest Airlines, a symbol of freedom. Call 1-800-IFLY-SWA. This is the sound of regular water droplets. This is the sound of vitamin water droplets. Regular water. Vitamin water. Regular water, vitamin water. Hey, come on now. Vitamin water. It has vitamins, but also parties. Separating fact from fiction. Arming you with the ammunition of liberty. The truth on TNN. Truthnewsnet.org. So who's on the short list? For President Biden to nominate to replace Justice Breyer. Well, let's start with one, Leandra Kruger. She's a potential Biden Supreme Court nominee, and she's got some uh, very questionable legal business in her past. She once startled the court's justices with her aggressive position against the plaintiff 
in a religious liberty case. Leandra Kruger, she's now a justice on California's highest court, argued on behalf of the Obama administration in Hosanna Tabor Evangelical Lutheran Church and School v. EEOC, which involved whether religious organizations had to abide by anti-discrimination laws when choosing their religious leaders. The position that Kruger staked out as a litigant in that case against the ministerial exception, one that even Justice Kagan described as amazing during oral arguments, suggested that she could be hostile to religious liberty if she were appointed. That's according to the Judicial Crisis Network President, Kerry Severino. Given that Hosanna Tabor was unanimously decided, such a position would shift the course liberal wing even further to the left, which of course is the desire of the liberal dark money groups who spent $1.5 billion to help elect President Biden and Senate Democrats in 2020. In that case, Kruger broadly argued against a doctrine known as the ministerial exception, which generally bars the government from intruding into how religious organizations choose their leaders. That exception is what protects religious groups' freedom to make employment decisions based on their beliefs, including their beliefs on marriage and human sexuality, for ministerial positions. That's from the Alliance Defending Freedom, a conservative legal group. The justice's ruling recognized that it is impermissible for the government to contradict a church's determination of who can act as its ministers. So in his opinion on the case, Chief Justice John Roberts wrote that the Obama administration's argument was hard to square with the text of the First Amendment itself, which gives special solicitude to the rights of religious organizations. We cannot accept the remarkable view that the religion clauses have nothing to say about a religious organization's freedom to select its own ministers. During oral arguments, Roberts pressed Kruger on whether there is a ministerial exception distinct from the right of association under the First Amendment. We think that the ministerial exception is one that incorporates the right of association as well as the rights under their religion clauses, she said. Is there anything special about the fact that the people involved in this case are part of a religious organization? That's John Roberts asking her. Kruger said her team thought the court has elaborated in other cases involving similar claims to autonomy, non-interference, But Justice Roberts interrupted her. Is that a no? You say it's similar to other cases. Expressive associations, a group of people who are interested in labor rights, have expressive associations, he asked. Is the issue we're talking about here, in the view of the U.S., any different than any other group of people who get together for an expressive right? Kruger said her side believed the basic contours of the inquiry are not different before repeating her point about similar cases, eliciting a response from several justices. That's extraordinary. We're talking here about the free exercise clause and about the establishment clause, and you say they have no special application to, the late Justice Antonine Scalia said, with Kruger finishing his sentence, the contours. But the inquiry that the court has set out as to expressive associations we think translate quite well to analyzing the claim 
that petitioner has made here. And for this reason, we don't think that the job duties of a particular religious employee in an organization are relevant to the inquiry. So, this is to go back to Justice Scalia's question, because I too find that amazing that you think that the free, neither the free exercise clause nor the establishment clause has anything to say about a church's relationship with its own employees. That's Justice Alina Kagan. And so the court voted 9-zip against this nominee or potential nominee of Joe Biden's Leandra Kruger. So Dana Perino of Fox News, she was George W. Butch's uh, press director, whatever, they, they communications director, they, they change the title all the time. But you know, Dana was there. She's now a regular on Fox News. She had some uh, look back about what she faced. President Biden's determination to make history by tapping the first black woman to the court may be rooted in something far more cynical than the triumph of diversity that Democrats are touting and may be based on a much more cynical reason. With retiring Justice Breyer being all but shoved out the door by the White House, Biden confirmed he's going to make history with his pick, fulfilling a campaign pledge. His decision is based on race and gender, and that obviously, if he follows through, is going to eliminate more qualified jurists who are being discriminated against because of their skin color, an idea that doesn't sit well with many Americans. But this upcoming pick could be more about politics and Biden's past in opposing the advancement of a black woman to the D.C. Court of Appeals, which he did, by the way. And Dana is pointing this out. He joined his fellow Senate Democrats in filibustering of then-President George W. Bush's nomination of Janice Rogers Brown. And his doing so would seem to suggest his own choice is based more on energizing his party's demoralized base in an election year than in what they say it's about, liberal idealism. She took views back to the past on Monday's edition of The Five when the former member of Bush's administration recalled Biden and the Democrats' double standards when it comes to black females on the nation's highest court, a position that could have been on the career path of Rogers Brown potentially allowing the nation's 43rd president to make history. I would also just like to take a quick trip down memory lane, she said. If Dems really wanted to see a black woman elevated to the Supreme Court, why did they block Janice Rogers Brown back during the Bush administration? I will never forget it, she said, because anonymously they told the papers. She continued, noting that back in 03, the newspapers were still the dominant form of media. They notified the papers that it was because they didn't want the Republicans to have a shot at nominating the first woman, black woman, to the court. And Janice Rogers Brown would have been an incredible circuit judge and a Supreme Court justice. She didn't get the chance. Go figure. Go figure. A Democrat doing something not because it's the best thing to do or the best person to pick, but because it's only 
because of politics. And having an African-American woman on the court? Oh my gosh. Can you imagine how good that's going to make them look? Forget about all the underlying facts in the past of all of the people involved in this process that are hellaciously racist in their past when it comes to this kind of stuff. Forget about that. Americans won't look back at the past. They can't do it. They're not smart enough. So there's another one, Dr. Lisa Cook. This is not about the court. This is about a Federal Reserve Board of Governors pick. Dr. Lisa Cook has a history of canceling those critical of Black Lives Matter. And she supports reparations and advocating for policies that could politicize the Fed. So he nominated her already, Cook, to serve on the board of the Federal Reserve. She's a professor of economics and international relations at Michigan State University. She served as the deputy team lead for the Federal Reserve Banking and Securities Agency Review Team on the Biden-Harris Transition Team. Cook and Sarah Bloom Raskin. Raskin, recognize that name? Jamie Raskin, a far-left member of the House of Representatives, his wife. They're both up for consideration for the Board of Governors. If confirmed, they'll be one of seven federal governments. That will make them voting members of the Federal Open Market Committee, which sets interest rate policy in the U.S. The Senate Banking Committee will hold a hearing this coming Thursday regarding their qualifications for the position. Senate Banking Committee Ranking Member Pat Toomey, Republican of Pennsylvania, raised serious questions this week regarding Cook and Raskin's paperwork commissions. Listen to this. Cook admitted that she gave a presentation in support of H.R. 40, which was a bill to create a commission to study and develop reparations. Cook later filed a five-page addendum listing hundreds of pages of documents and hours of audiovisual material that she initially failed to disclose. Toomey said in the statement, all of those facts constitute shoddy compliance with the Senate confirmation process, which shows a lack of respect for Congress and raises concerns about the nominee's willingness to comply with future congressional inquiries and oversight efforts. Cook appeared to agree with calls to have the Fed focus on targeting its federal funds rate to improve the black unemployment rate rather than the national unemployment rate. The Washington Post released an article back in last June which progressives shared the idea with Biden's policy team of targeting not the overall unemployment rate, but the black unemployment rate. Congress created two mandates for the Fed, full unemployment and stable prices. Michael Linden, who is now a senior advisor at the Office of Management and Budget, the OMB, wrote in June two years ago in response to the Washington Post article, the black unemployment rate is a better indicator for the health of the overall economy than a lot of more standard metrics that many people tend to use. In response to Lyndon, Cook wrote, I agree. It's interesting when you begin to dig in and find out what people really think rather than listen to what they respond in these Senate hearings 
in which they're asked the hard questions. I guess one of the best questioners regarding these nominees in the Senate is John Kennedy, one of our two senators here from Louisiana. He's got a great reputation for asking the hard questions and pushing and pushing and pushing to get real answers rather than just accepting the prepared answers that the teachers who prepare these nominees before they go to before these committees, how to respond. Have you ever noticed pretty much every one of those nominees when they're asked a question by a senator, the first thing they all say is, thank you, Senator, for that question. Pretty much what they really want to say is, what the heck are you talking about? That makes no sense. Why are you asking me that? (laughs) It's all prepared. Politics is nothing but a stack of things that are all based in politics alone. And the people that are getting nominated for positions at every level of the government that are non-elected, every one of them have to go through a battery of meetings and watching videos and being asked questions, kind of like we're going to we're going to replicate what you're about to face when you go before this hearing, and we're going to show you how the questions are asked and how you got to answer them, and you've got to, most of all, make it as opaque and as little of transparency as you possibly can because they won't approve you if you don't say the right thing, and they won't approve you if you say the wrong thing. So here's what you have to do. Rather than, you know... Just telling the truth. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I guess you heard this morning. Job numbers really look good. It shocked everybody. 467,000 jobs created, recreated, whatever you want to call it, last month. None of them were new jobs. Very few of them were. It's just more people going back to work. That shocked everybody. And of course, the legacy media world is a buzz. Look at what Joe Biden did. Hey, hey, hey. He's tearing it up out there, creating all these new jobs, and all of these Republicans are just saying how bad it is. It's not bad at all. Of course, they all make a lot of money. They have posh jobs, live in homes where pretty much all their financial needs are taken care of. They live in La La Land, and the rest of us are out here. We're we're driving, which I did yesterday. I live in Louisiana. The price of gas is pretty inexpensive compared to other states, but I paid three dollars and two cents a gallon, and it almost choked me. The day of the election, November third, twenty twenty, I paid a dollar sixty-five a gallon at the same place gas a gallon, and I've got a small tank. I guess small compared to if I had a big SUV. I've got a 17-gallon tank. But what that means is $1.35 more a gallon means that tank of gas this year, today, yesterday, cost me $20 more than it did when Joe Biden became or was elected to become president. That's no big deal to those people. That's okay with those people? Let me tell you what I'm getting an understanding of a bit more and more every day. It's a given. Joe Biden's not calling the shots. He's not implementing all of the plans. He's not talking about and creating policies. All he is is reading a teleprompter 
or looking at a speech that they, whoever they are, write and put in front of him, his handlers. And folks, it's become more and more obvious every day that those people, the coalition behind Joe Biden, the handlers, the group, whoever it is, Obama, other people that have been around Joe Biden all these years, far-left Democrats that were very critical in getting him into this position. That group is falling apart itself because they're seeing the ineptness, the inability to do anything, to say anything, and to be coherent most of the time. They don't know what to do. The coalition that made Joe Biden president is falling apart. He has managed to upset almost all the voting groups that put him in the White House. His visit to New York City today shows his problems with black voters. They elected Mayor Eric Adams, former police officer. They elected him knowing that he, Eric Adams, was tough on crime. The president's not been tough on crime. How about this? Approximately 10,000 black civilians were killed by criminals last year. No wonder black voters are drifting away. They want something done. So, too, are suburbanites. They helped elect Biden. But as Virginia showed, they don't like his lockstep agreement with the teachers' unit, which has ruined so many public schools. And those suburbanites, they're not happy with the crime spike either. They want to go back to their city jobs and feel safe. Hispanics drifting away. Contrary to what the Biden team seems to think, they don't like an open border. In Texas and Arizona, voters on the border are turning Republican. Working families, oh, clobbered by inflation. Wage gains wiped out. And these are the people who have to go out and work. They have to get through the maze of testing, vax mandates, mask mandates. Working people pay the price of Biden's failing COVID response. So who's left in the Biden coalition? The elites, of course. There's been a sea change in American politics in the last generation. The rich, the highly educated, the one percenters, they vote Democrat these days. They're not leaving Biden's coalition. They're just the last ones still firmly on board. So who is it, folks? Who is it that's in charge of everything coming out of this White House? The only thing I can tell you is, the only thing I know about it is it is not Joe Biden. It's somebody else. Some big news coming out regarding our southern border. Again, it's more bad news. It's been there for a long time. And just like everything else, bad news, it's been hidden for a long time. We've got that. You're not going to like it. That, plus we're going to talk about some big news that came out overnight regarding Hunter Biden. That's right after this. I know I should quit smoking, but it's just... (sighs) My feet and hands are numb a lot. Walking to the bathroom gets me winded. (coughs) I cough all the time. Seriously? (sighs) I've been dying to quit. Don't wait till you're dying to call. When your health is worse, it will be too late. 1-866-QUIT-YES. The Illinois Department of Public Health and the American Lung Association in Illinois. (laughs) QuitYes.org. I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all natural, juicy, 
grass-fed beef. Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food. With no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids. Only at Carl's Jr. What are you doing? Should we pick him up? He has Bud Light. He has an axe. But he has Bud Light. And an axe. I'm sure there's a reason for it. Hey, buddy. What's with the axe? It's a... Uh bottle opener. Hop in. Refreshingly smooth Bud Light. Always worth it. Look, here's Bud Light. And a chainsaw. It is uncomprehensible to me how Joe Biden actually was elected and how and why he's allowed to keep espousing all of this criminality that he is lording over. He's actually become a criminal law lord. By all he's allowing to happen, he's suborning, he's supporting. News came out overnight. You know all of these uh, illegal aliens that were deported instead of being deported, freed into the United States, top officials with Department of Homeland Security are admitting they don't know how many illegal aliens have been deported from the U.S. after having been released into our interior. They don't even have any idea how many. Certainly not where they are. Over the last 12 months, Biden's DHS has operated a expansive catch-and-release program they freed more than half a million border crossers and illegals into the U.S. In most of those cases, border crossers and illegal aliens are given notices to appear. That's called an NTA before an immigration judge. Prior DHS data published by Breitbart News revealed that 85% of border crossers and illegal aliens released in the U.S. are evading deportation by skipping out on reporting requirements. DHS now admits in a letter to Representative Andy Biggs of Arizona that they're not tracking the number of deported border crossers and illegals who have failed to comply with the reporting requirements following their release into the U.S. They admitted in a letter, at this time it says, DHS is unable to statistically track the number of non-citizens released by Border Protection and Border Patrol with charging document or instructions to check in with ICE who have been removed from the United States. DHS also did not divulge how many border crossers and illegals have been arrested by ICE after having violated those release terms. The DHS has failed to disclose the total number of illegal aliens arrested and deported in the fiscal year 2021. Former ICE officials suggested the agency is diligently trying to manipulate that data to make it harder to compare to the previous years of interior enforcement. Research has proven that deportations are incredibly cost-efficient for Americans as deporting every illegal alien in the U.S. is about six times less expensive than what we are forced to subsidize for the nation's 
11 to 12, excuse me, 11 to 22 million illegals. Once again, none of it makes any sense. It's all about illegality. It's all being not just allowed by this president and his administration and those in it. This president is encouraging it from the top of his administration down, not to the people, the Border Patrol people that are handling and responsible for messing with this and trying to keep their sanity, but the political hacks between Joe Biden and the Border Patrol people, they're pushing it and encouraging it, and it's getting worse every day. So just remember this. Federal law requires individuals who come to the U.S. illegally. They're supposed to be separated from their children they bring with them. You know, lots of times, in fact, a huge majority of the time, when these people come across the border and they have kids with them, there's no way to prove these kids are actually the kids that belong to these people that are bringing them in. In many cases, it's known this is human smuggling, sex smuggling, and it's danger for these kids. Department of Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas said two days ago his agency is putting a structure in place to facilitate bringing deported adults into the U.S., under the claim of family unification. NPR, National Public Radio, taxpayer-funded, helped Mayorkas advance that narrative when they reported that Biden signed executive orders to unravel Trump-era immigration policies that separated thousands of families, including the creation of a task force to reunite some of those families that were separated at the southern border. One year ago, Biden created a task force to implement that executive order. The NPR host also noted that of the 4,000 kids who were separated from their parents, 2,187 had been reunited before Donald Trump left office. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. More than half? Nobody said that. Nobody told us that. Certainly, we didn't believe that Donald Trump would try to do that. That's something only Democrats could do. (laughs) Mayorkas claimed his agency is making progress on the issue. He said this, We've accomplished a great deal. When we commenced our task force a year ago, what we encountered was an absence of records of the families who were separated or incomplete or inaccurate records. And our first challenge was to actually identify the separated families. We have thus far reunified more than 120 families. We're in the process of reunifying more than 400, and we are present in the countries of origin to reach other families and encourage them to come forward. Now, he, he uses the term reunify, reunify. In other words, put these families back together. You know what, if they were really doing the right thing, what they would be doing was finding out, making sure, and documenting and verifying where these children are being kept here and also where the parents are living in these other countries and then reaching out and making sure they can get together and transporting the kids with an adult companion 
back to their parents. That would be the good thing to do. That's not what Mayorkas is doing. They're bringing the parents. We are paying for the parents who, when they came in illegally, were sent back. We're paying for them to fly those parents into the United States to wherever the kids are. The kids being here is illegal. The parents being here was illegal. We paid for the first departure. We paid for the kids to be taken into custody and taken care of all this time they've been here. And now, they were all here illegally. Now, it's our responsibility as taxpayers to fly these parents all back to the United States to reunify them with their parents, with their kids. That just makes so much sense to me. You know, if you talk about inflation to anybody in this administration, they tell you, it's nothing like you say. It's not nearly as bad as it is. Jen Psaki told us it was because people are, they were locked up. You know, we were in the lockdowns. We couldn't go out. We couldn't spend money. We had a lot of money. And of course, the government gave them a lot more, gave us thousands of dollars. And they're just chomping at the bits to go out. So there are demands for things that aren't, able to be on the shelves because there's so much demand for those things. That's what's causing inflation. Well, guess what came out this morning? Labor costs soared in the fourth quarter of 2021, swamping even the unexpectedly strong productivity gains, suggesting that inflation's grip on the economy strengthened at the end of this last year. Unit labor cost, which is a measure of how much compensation businesses pay to produce a given level of output, those costs rose at an annual rate of three-tenths of a percentage point in October through December. That reflected a 6.9% jump in hourly compensation and a 6.6% jump in productivity. Now, that productivity crashed in the third quarter but it jumped back this quarter. What, what's the bottom line for all this? Number one, everything costs more. Number two, yes, wages have gone up. What companies are paying, and to be quite honest with you, the reason they're paying in large part is because people don't want to go back to work unless they get raises. So they get raises. It's an exciting thing. But what Americans are finding out when they go back to work because of Biden's policies across the board The cost of everything has gone up much higher, much quicker than have the incomes. The wages, the increases that they've been given don't cover the cost of getting the same things as before and doing the same things as before. So inflation is digging into the net that they're putting in their pocket. And nobody in the Biden administration is even talking about that, yet alone doing anything about it. I don't know how involved you get in paying attention to actual procedures that happen in Congress. If you go on C-SPAN every once in a while, which I do, I just want to keep in touch. Uh, One C-SPAN covers the House, the other covers the Senate. I forget which one it is. But I happen to look in to a House committing hearing, I guess a month or so ago. And um, Rashida Tlaib, 
You know her. She's an activist, part of the squad, AOC's The Squad. Um, she's Palestinian. Well, she she's born and raised in the U.S., but she's got Palestinian blood and family on both sides of the pond over here and in that part of the, the Middle East. And she is Muslim, very active, very aggressive. And in a committee hearing a month or so ago, the CEO of one of the big oil companies was there. I forget which one it was. Um, I'm trying to think. I can't, I can't remember the one that it was. But it was a CEO of one of the big oil companies. And they were there to talk about energy problems, carbon emissions, climate change, all the nasty things that they politicize. And Rashida Tlaib, folks, went off on this CEO. It's not very long. In fact, it's, it's less than two minutes. But I want you to hear what going to a committee hearing in Congress, what it sounds like today. Um, Mike, Mike Worth, when are you going to cut the check? Congresswoman, I, I'm not trying to understand the context of your question. That's okay. Okay. So, could I, excuse me, I, I'd like to correct something that, you, that you've sure. been provided with some inaccurate information. Mm-hmm. Uh, Noble Energy was not a subsidiary of Chevron in, in 2000. Okay, you can submit it for the record, sir. So, Chevron, you can submit it to the committee. Chevron has about 70 serious cases of environmental and community abuses in 31 countries worldwide, owing over 50 billion in judgments and settlements checks, literally, settlement debts that you all have. So, Mike, when are you going to cut the check? Congressman, I'm not familiar with the number you... When are you going to cut the $50 billion check that you owe? It went through the courts. You owe $50 billion to communities in 31 countries. Congresswoman, I'd be happy to take a look at the source for your information on this sure. and uh, and get back to you on it because I have no understanding of what Well, I have a message for you as Chevron CEO. I mean, you made, what, $29 million last year in poisoning the planet? Um, Mr. Worth, you, you can't arrest us all. You can't arrest the truth. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? Congresswoman, I, I am uh, not exactly... So, so you're targeting in actions against the human rights lawyer, Dotzinger. I mean, what you did there, your company, maybe through subsidiaries, I don't know. I just want to remind you, there are more of us than there are of you. You can poison the planet to make money, but we're going to defend the planet so we can live. And we will win. So, uh, you know, I need Chevron to cut the check. You owe $50 billion to indigenous communities and people that you harmed for profit. This is not about vilifying these companies. This is about accountability. You all know we're all paying the cost from our public health to our environment, the actions that you take, and you're hiding behind subsidiaries, and it's wrong. These are residents putting ballot initiatives on their local ballot to make a difference to save our planet. Doesn't that make you feel warm and fuzzy that it's one thing to think those things or to feel those those ways but if you do wouldn't it make sense to try to get together with the people who you disagree with and find some consensus if really what you want to do is get something done instead of berating 
a Chevron CEO by asking questions without any background, without any perspective. He had no idea what the heck she was talking about. And I'm sure that the truth, the facts are a little bit different, if not way different (laughs) from those talking points that you heard her speak. But you know what, folks? That's what living in this United States of America is today. It's about talking points. It's about politics. It's not about finding facts and convincing each other of what the facts are and find agreement to work together to get the problem solved. It's not about that. It's about political partisanship, and my opinion is all that matters. That's going to be a wrap today. We went as long as we could to get as much in for you. You guys have a great weekend. Don't forget about our bullet point offerings. We do highlights of the big news stories of the week every Saturday morning. You guys have a great weekend. We'll get back together Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central, 9 to 11, every Monday through Friday. And if you missed any shows, don't forget you can go get them easily at any time at Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, TuneIn Podcast, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio Podcast, and I left one out, but you know what I'm talking about. Just put in TNN Live in the search bar. The index of all our shows pops up with the latest show up at the top. Download it, listen to it, but stay caught up with us. And again, you have a great weekend. So long, everybody. <laughs>